Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. What's up, everybody? How's it going? So, uh, wasn't the chili cook-off awesome yesterday? Well, what? Not, not because I won or anything, but... Hey, listen, I, it's a surprise to me because there was a lot of great chilies there. I, I was surprised at all, a lot of them, actually. So, hey, praise the Lord, you know, the, it was good. But uh, it, it's funny how when you get outside of the four walls of the church and, and you do something like that, though, how you really get to know people, you know, in different ways, and, and you get to have a, a deeper conversation, you're hanging out, so... Man, it, it's great to be able to do that. So if, you, if you're ever able to be with us in those, those times, man, it's a, it's a great time to get to know people in the church and uh, just a blessing to be able to build relationships and all that, right? I forget the chili cook-off, but I do have some uh, bad news for you. Because of the chili cook-off, I didn't really prepare anything this morning because uh, I was so focused on winning that trophy <laughs> that <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I had my sermon done way in advance so I could focus on the chili, but anyway. So, hey, James chapter 1 this morning, glad you're here with us this morning. We're, we're encouraged. We're going to be opening up the Word of God this morning and hear what the Lord has to say to us in this sermon series entitled Everyday Faith, where we find wisdom in the Word of God through James, the half-brother of Jesus, who is telling us about just everyday living, how giving us wisdom on how we can live better on an everyday basis, and today Man, do we have a great, great topic that we find in our text this morning, understanding temptation. I know none of you guys struggle with temptation, but uh, if you do, here's some wisdom for you here in this uh, text here this morning. James chapter 1, we're going to stand with me and we're going to read verses 13 through 18 this morning. James chapter 1, some practical wisdom relating to temptation. Let no one say when he's tempted... I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. When desire, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow uh, due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of the truth, uh, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask you, Lord, to speak into our lives today. Lord, we want to know how to walk in freedom, Lord, and we want to have, apply this practical wisdom in our lives we pray that you would just do a work in us. God, you know everything going on in every one of our lives. As it's been said, you know the number of hairs on our head. You care about all the details. You care about our pain. You care about uh, the things that are plaguing us, Lord. You care about it all. And you're here to minister to us. And so would we have our ears open, Lord? Would we have our hearts ready to receive from you this morning? And Lord, would you help us to drop our guard in being offended by what you would say to us this morning? We want to hear the truth. So speak to us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 
So I was reminded as I was studying for this text uh, this, this last week about the age-old story of the man that was struggling with his diet. You know the story? This guy on, on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being, you know, not struggling at all, 10 being struggling big time. This dude was a solid 11.9. Like he was so struggling that he was about ready to throw caution to the wind and pull into the nearest Chinese buffet that he could find and just let it loose until they kicked him out. That's how bad this guy was struggling. Well, luck had it that um, he, he, had to, he had a meeting across town, and uh, so he, he needed to be there at a certain time, and the quickest route for him to go was going to take him by his favorite donut shop. Now, if you've ever read uh, the book, Dieting for Dummies, like rule number one is never go by your favorite donut shop when you're struggling, right? So here, here, here it has this guy he's go, going by his favorite donut shop. He's like, oh, man, I shouldn't go by it, but I have to. I'm late now. So he, he's in his car, and he starts to drive, and he knows what's ahead. And all of a sudden, he gets this, this desire for coffee. So he's thinking, like, man, I should get a cup of, a cup of coffee right now would be fantastic. That would curb my appetite. I, it would be, be great. Here's the problem. The best coffee in town happened to be at his favorite donut shop. So he does what any responsible believer would do, and he prays about it. And he's driving there, and he says he does the Gideon thing. You know, you ever done that before? You lay the fleece out before the Lord. He says, Lord, if I drive by this coffee shop, and I see a spot right in front, I'm going to know that you want me to get in there and get that coffee. So he, he has done what he can do. It is in God's hands now. And he is driving there, and he's thinking, please let there be a parking spot. Please let there be a parking spot. And he drives up. He comes upon the, the place there. It's surrounded by cops because, you know, cops love donuts. And it wasn't nothing going on there. They just happened to be there to snack. So uh, I don't judge them. Hey, but if you, anytime you pass Dunkin' Donuts, you'll see what I'm talking about. But anyway, uh, so... So he comes up to the, to the place, and lo and behold, guess what? There's a parking spot right in the front. And he, oh, thank you, Lord. And the Lord said, yeah, but this is your 12th time around the block. Man, I'll tell you. Listen, temptation gets the best of all of us, doesn't it? It does. It, it gets the best of all of us. Sounds a lot like you and I when we're struggling with temptation. We're struggling, we're, we've decided to, and, and yet we've decided to go into those places, our favorite donut shop as it were, under the guise of getting a coffee, thinking that we're going to be okay. And in all reality, we know what's waiting for us when we enter the door. But we're going to chance it and think that we have the power to overcome our struggles and then we're surprised when we fall. Isn't that the way it goes? How did this happen? How do I find myself in this place? You may have even prayed about it. Lord, should I go? And you felt like the green light was going. Let me just say that the Lord doesn't want you to go in places that you know you're going to be tempted in. The Lord would say, stay away from that place. 
Jerry Bridges in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, I love this book. I encourage you to read this book. But in his book, he talks about these kinds of prayers. He says, there's no point in praying for victory over temptation. Listen, if you're not willing to make a commitment to say no to it, uh, it's It is only by learning to deny temptation that we will ever put to death the misdeeds of the body. It's an interesting quote there. How we're praying about something that we're already committing to do. Lord, if you'll give me the ability to overcome that, and yet we're not committed to overcome it because we're not willing to deny ourselves. And that that is the age-old problem of sin, folks. For the believer... Everything that I'm going to talk about here today is for the believer. I want to preface that because the unbeliever is in a different category altogether. The unbeliever isn't regenerated. They don't have the desires of the Lord. They don't also have the power to overcome sin in their life. Although there are plenty of moral unbelievers who have, in some regard, even some more self-control than than born-again believers do. But... The premise that I'm coming at is that we're talking to believers here, and we're talking about the idea of overcoming temptation. I was reading an article about, about along the lines of the diet, and uh, Matthew McConaughey was uh, taking a role where he had to lose 50 pounds here some, some time ago, and, and the interviewer asked him, you know, how hard was that? He's not a big guy already. So... To lose 50 pounds, that's not easy, especially in short order. So the interviewer says, well, how hard was that? And he said, man, it was incredibly hard. Listen, until I made my mind up, and then it was easy. It was incredibly hard until I made my mind up, and then it was easy. Because I had a goal in mind, and I was focused on on that goal. Listen, Overcoming temptation starts with commitment. Overcoming temptation starts with commitment. God will do his part, period. The question is, will we do our part? If we're not committed up front, then we're setting ourselves up to fail. Amen? We all have the proverbial donuts or donut shop in our lives. We all have those things that taste good to us in the moment, but they're not good for us at all are they? You're never going to hear a nutritionist tell you that donuts are good for you, ever. And if they do, you need to go somewhere else. (laughs) Listen, if you look at the USDA nutritional pyramid, which is 100% accurate, right? We all agree with that, right? Just kidding. But listen, regardless of how you feel about it, donuts aren't on there, ever. Donuts are not in any way, shape, or form healthy at all, and I don't care how you frame it. No carbs, you know, 20. Have you ever tried the all-protein donuts? They're horrible. Well, how do I know? Ask me. I've tried them. Hey, listen. Donuts aren't healthy for you. Not even one. Not even one. They will never be healthy for you. Yeah, I'm not saying you can't have a donut, but, man, are you going to really be questioning that now, aren't you? You're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know, Pastor Tim was really coming down. Here's the interesting thing. We know that, and yet we'll pull up to the window at Krispy Kreme and we'll watch the glaze going on the donuts. We're like, whoa. Dude, you're setting yourself up to fail already. 
You can't go to Krispy Kreme and watch that happen and not want one of those things. I promise you. And here's the, here's the thing. We say, oh, I could just have a little bit. And then we start deceiving ourselves. I'm strong enough for just one. Listen, if you put me in a, in a room with a box of donuts, they're not going to survive. There's no way that they're going to make it. I don't care how strong my will is. At some point, I'm going to cave. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give in, and I'm going to find myself knocked out on the floor, sugar all over my face and my chest, and then I'm going to go, how did I get here? This is the illustration of the way it works in our lives with sin. It's the same idea. You know, we know the areas we struggle, and yet we find ourselves in places that we've gone unprotected, unguarded, and we're expecting to find victory over something that's totally routed us over and over and over again. Now that isn't crazy. Listen, the Lord would say, you can't do it. Stay away from those things. You know those things that plague you. Stay as far away from those things as you can. You know, in, in, I think it's in, in, in AA that they tell you never drive the route of the, uh, never drive along the route of the place that you bought alcohol or the place that you frequented to drink alcohol. Never go by those places. Why? Because temptation comes up immediately. You don't even have, you could just be on the street and see the sign, and all of a sudden there's temptation. Now, we live in this world, and we can't get away from everything, but we certainly can purposely do our best to not put ourselves in bad situations that are going to tempt us. Temptation's hard enough. Why set yourself up to fail? That's the way I look at it. James is going to talk to us this morning about understanding temptation. There's three things that we're going to look at relating to temptation. What God's role is in our temptation, what our role is in our temptation, and what the end result of temptation always yields. So the first thing that we find here in re relating to understanding temptation is God's role in temptation. James is transitioning here in verse 13. He says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And then go down to verse 16, where it goes on to say, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us uh, forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So the word tempted here, uh, as I've been telling you, there's two different meanings to this word. It depends on the, the tense that's used. There's the noun tense that we find in chapter 1 of James, and also the verb tense. When, when, when the noun tense is used, um, it's always used in association with God, and it always has good connotations. It's meant to test for the purpose of proving. We, we talked about that in the very opening verses of James chapter 1 where it says 
you know, that we should consider it pure joy when we enter into various trials. And that God tests our faith. You know, that in the process of all of that, what God is doing is he's perfecting and completing us that we would lack nothing. So he, in, this, in, in the sense of that word tempt, he's, he's using the, actually, some translations do say tempt there. It's not accurately translated because that's not what it means. It means to prove. It doesn't mean to, to put, in, uh, put, in the, put in sin's way. That's not what it means. The, the, here would be a, an example of the noun tense used elsewhere. John chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. It says, Lift up, uh, lifting up his eyes, then he, uh, lifting up his eyes, then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this, listen, to test him. It's the same word used in the noun tense, for he knew, uh, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus was telling Philip, he was asking him a question to test him in, in, in the sense of proving him, not to set him up to fail. He wanted to see, he test his faith. Do you believe that I can take the bread and the fish and multiply it and give it out, Philip? Do you believe that we can do that? That was the, that's the context of what he's asking. The verb form of this word means, listen, to endeavor or attempt to cause someone to sin. Uh, it, it means to tempt, to trap, to lead into temptation. It carries bad connotations, and it's always used in association with evil. An example of this would be Mark chapter 8, verse 11 where the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to what? To test him, to trip him up. That was the point. They were trying to cause Jesus to sin. They were testing him in the verb sense of the word. We've seen the noun sense used in verses 2 and 12 in James chapter 1. Now, as we transition into verses 13 through 15, he uses the verb tense of the word. The connotation is bad. Uh, the purpose is to cause someone to sin, to tempt them, to trap them, to lead them into temptation. Notice what James says right off the bat here. Let no one say. Let no one say. Like, this is a very, very strong language used here in the Tim Romero uh, translation. It means shut your mouth about this nonsense. That's what he means here. Literally, if you were to translate it, it means stop saying this. Stop saying this. Let no one say. Let no one say what? When he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Let no one say this. Don't let that even come up in your conversation. Why? He goes on to tell us why. We don't have to figure it out. He says because uh, God uh, cannot tempt with evil and he himself tempts no one. That word, God cannot, you know what that word cannot means? Cannot. That's what it means. He cannot tempt us with evil. He is incapable of tempting us with evil. It's silly to think that God would tempt us with evil, isn't it? Does God want us to, to walk in evilness? Of course he doesn't. God, it's silly for us to, to think that, but we play the blame-shifting game all the time. And maybe we, want, we wouldn't say it in certain circles, but sometimes we do blame God for the things that are happening in our lives, 
God, if you hadn't made me this way, God, if these circumstances hadn't come up, and what we're doing in that moment is we're saying, you're the problem, God. It's blame shifting. Listen, hey, this has been happening since day one. It's been happening since day one. You know the story in Genesis chapter 3. You know the context where Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. They sin. God told them not to eat of the the tree. They did. And then what happens is God finds himself in the cool of the day walking in the garden. And he's saying, Adam, where are you? And Adam surfaces from hiding from God. And he says, oh, man, I was afraid because I was naked. And the Lord said, like he doesn't know, did you eat of that tree? Uh, that I told you not to? Listen to the response. Genesis chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. The man said, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Who's he blaming? He's blaming God. God, if you hadn't have put her in the garden with me, we wouldn't be in this mess. This is your fault. Look how she responds. The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. In other words, she's saying, God, if the serpent weren't here, then I wouldn't have been deceived and I wouldn't have eaten. It's your fault. It's not God's fault, is it? It's not God's fault at all, in fact. The reality of it is, is that they made a choice. And they failed. And then they tried to blame God for that. Like it was God's fault. How silly that is. Listen, never find yourself trying to blame God for the things that you're actively doing yourself. Never blame God for those things. Take responsibility of those things, but don't don't blame God. Blame shifting never works out. It's not somebody else's fault. It's not the Lord's fault. We're going to see whose fault it is here in a second. What is a temptation in the first place? I like the way that somebody defined it. They said temptation is the feeling we get when encountered by opportunity to do what we innately know we shouldn't. That's a great definition of temptation. I know it's wrong, but I want to do it. I know it's wrong, but I, but I want to go into this situation. And that's the temptation. But temptation isn't sin. Sin is then to step into it and do it. That's sin. When we take that active step to take our, the, the temptation and we desire to do that temptation and then we step into it, that's when we've sinned. Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted in all ways, but he sinned not. It was the, the enemy that brought Jesus up. You know, he tempted him with bread. Then he brought him up to the, to the temple. He said, he said, see all of those things, that you, see all these kingdoms? I'll give them all to you. Wow, he was offering something that he could give, wasn't he? There was a point in time where the enemy had all the kingdoms of this world, but Jesus conquered him through the cross and the resurrection of the grave. And he took that deed back, as we learned in Revelation, that the title deed of the earth, Revelation chapter 4. But but here's the point. Jesus could have said, well, that sounds a lot better than dying. Uh, I mean, I'd like all the kingdoms of the world. I am a king, so I'd like to take that route rather than go to the cross and be resurrected from the dead. That's not what he did, though. See, the temptation was not sin. Jesus was offered these things, but he didn't, he didn't walk into them. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a minute here. God, 
God allows temptation into our life, but he's not the cause of it, and he doesn't necessarily, he gives us the power to overcome them in the moment. He's not, he's not the problem when we do engage, though. It's not God's fault that we do these things. And in fact, to suggest such would be foolishness, says the wisest man in the world that to ever live, Solomon, in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. He says, when a man fully brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. God, I can't believe that you did this to me. His ways led him to ruin. It's his folly that causes him to rage against the Lord, causes him to fall, and then it causes him to blame God for the things that he's done. God's not to blame. And James goes on to say in verse 16, do not be deceived about this. Do not be deceived. What does that suggest to us? That we can be deceived about this, right? It suggests that there's a possibility for a believer to be deceived and to fall into the trap of saying, God, it's your fault. James is talking to believers here. And he's telling my beloved brothers, do not be deceived about this fact. God is not to blame. And then he goes on to define who God is. Listen to this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James is saying do not be deceived. It means don't wander off the path. That's what that word means. Don't wander off the path. You know who the deceiver is, right? The devil. He wants to deceive people. He wants to get people off the path. He peddles the false narrative about God. In the devil's mind, the more that we can blame God for the bad things that happen in our lives, the better. Because it puts disdain for God in our hearts. And he loves nothing more than that. That's the aim of the enemy. For the believer, the aim of the enemy is to get in between you and God and get you to turn your heart away from the Lord, to get you angry with God, to get you upset that, that you're, you're reading these things. You're like, why isn't this happening in my life? God, I can't believe that, you know, you know the story. That's deception because the Bible tells us even in, this, in our text here that God does good things. That God does incredibly good things. It says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. God is a gift giver. He loves us. He wants to, he wants to give good gifts to us. His gifts are perfect, it says. There is no darkness in them. They come from the Father of lights. That means speaking about the purity of God about the goodness of God, about the holiness of God. There is no shadow, uh, a variation or shadow due to change. Listen, the, the Lord only orchestrates good things in our lives. You know, that's why when we quote Romans 8.28, we're seeing that God works everything out for the good because he's a good gift giver. He does good things. He orchestrates good things in our lives. I didn't say he orchestrates easy things in our lives. I said he orchestrates good things. Sometimes good things are very hard. Sometimes good things require a lot of sacrifice on our end. Sometimes good things require uh, us to deny ourselves in certain ways. But they're good. And God is good. 
and he wants, he, he's more concerned, listen, he's more concerned about our conformance to Christ than he is our comfort. You know that? He's, no, he's more concerned about us becoming more like Jesus through this life and this process than he is about how comfortable we are doing it. And you know what? I've embraced that and I love that. I don't want to be comfortable. I'm not going to purposely look to not be comfortable. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I like to be as comfortable as I can, Lord, but, but I'm willing to be uncomfortable if it means I get to be more like Jesus. Amen? That's the point, man. And, and, and so God is, God is this great God. He's this good God. He's Everything that he does is good, and, and there's no variation in him. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always doing good things in our lives. Sometimes they're hard, and sometimes they're difficult and all that. But, but listen, he should not get the credit for the bad things in your life. But he should get all the credit 100% for every good thing that's gone on in your life. Every good thing. He should get all the credit. You should be like, Lord, uh, it's funny. I've heard people say like, you know, I had a business before and they always want man to take glory. And the the Lord blessed our business, man. And it was an incredible experience and all this kind of stuff. But listen, men would always come up to me and go, oh, man, you're this. You're such a good this and you're such a good that. And I go, man, God is so good because I'm, I'm a man. If I had to do this on my own, it would have never gone anywhere. But it was all God. You know what's funny is people don't like to hear that. They don't like to hear that. They feel uncomfortable about that. Well, well I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's all God, but, you know, you had to do your part. No, no, you don't understand. It was all God, 100% God. He did it all. He's the good gift giver. I was just simply trying to keep on the rails. You know, I'm just like, Lord, just help me not to veer off the path, you know. And he would put me in the right place talking to the right people, and that's how it goes down. And anybody in here that is in, has any kind of success understands the same thing. It's the way it works. God does it all. And, you know, we get, we get to be blessed by it, but, but, but he, doesn't, he, he, he does it all. And the greatest thing that he's done in your life, the greatest gift that he's given you, folks, is your salvation. It's your salvation. He brought us forth by the word of truth. Peter put it like this in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded uh, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in, in the last time. And then down to verse 23 there where it goes on to say, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living, listen, and abiding word of God. It was God that caused us to be born again. It it was God through his word, and and somewhere that word was sown in your life, that seed was sown, it was scattered, it was put in your life, and at some point, God brought you in the right time with the right circumstances, and he brought you to a place where the seed was brought back up, and you're like, I need Jesus. I need Jesus, The, the, the word of truth, the word of truth. In that right moment, with the right context, the Lord brings his holy word right in front of us and reminds us of what we need. We need Jesus. We need the Lord. We need him. We need to be desperate for him. And, and God is faithful. 
to bring us forth by the word of truth. Man, I'm grateful for the word of truth. It was the word of truth that was brought to my mind some, I don't know how many ever years ago, 20-some years ago, and the Lord brought to my mind seeds that had been scattered in my life all throughout my high school years and early adult years. And at, on that, that point, God drew me to himself and he caused me to understand my need for Christ. And it was through the word, the seed being sown in my life. And the same is true for you. It's not the same story, but it's the exact same. Elements are always the same. We, need, we, we have a need. Christ is the fulfillment of that need. And God uses somebody to remind us of that. Or he uses a, somewhat, something that, some seed that God has sown in our life. That's why James goes on to say that we're a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He's saying we are, we are the harvest of the word of truth that has gone forward through Jesus Christ. As, the, as Jesus brought the gospel into the world, he brought the new covenant into the world. These early Jewish believers that James is writing to who are dispersed all over uh, the Gentile lands around Jerusalem and such... They're the first fruits of that seed that has gone forward, the gospel of truth. And James is saying, man, praise God that you believe because you're part of the first fruits. The first fruits, the, first, the feast of first fruits, you know. The idea was a harvest time, and when they, when they harvested, harvested, they would bring the first part of the harvest into the temple, and they would, they would bring that as a sacrifice, an offering to the Lord. And the idea is that these believers were part of that first fruits sort of harvest of the gospel going forward into the world. Now, you and I here in this place today, listen, you may be a first fruit in your family. Maybe the first one in your family that has come to Christ. Maybe the first one in your circle of friends or whatever it might be. James is just pointing them back to the goodness of God, that he's a good gift giver, that he doesn't tempt us. He doesn't put darkness in us. He always has everything he's trying to do is good for us, and he's always providing us um, with the word of truth to bring us forth, to bring us through whatever it is that we might find ourselves going through. God is so good that Paul reminds us that when we're in the middle of temptation, that he's there with us. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Did you read the word sometimes in there? That's not in there, right? Sometimes is never in there. It's, it's, it's God is faithful. He's always there. He's always providing us with a way of escape. He never gives us, uh, you know, he never allows us to be tempted beyond our ability, listen, in him. Our ability in him. I'm always tempted beyond my ability in myself. But in him, I'm never tempted beyond what I am able. In the spirit of God, I'm able to overcome anything. It's by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony that I've overcome. It's the same story for you. Here, here's what I'll tell you is that there is a door always in your temptation. There's a door. It's not a trick. God isn't going, I hit the door somewhere. Let's see if you can find it. He doesn't do that. 
God loves us. He wants us to find the door. He makes it very clear where the door is. Sometimes the door is stand firm. And we don't succumb to the temptation. Sometimes the doors flee. Get out of there. You don't belong there. Listen, here's what I'll tell you. Is if you will start paying attention to what's going on in your life when you're being tempted, what you will find is there's always a door. God is always there. He's always doing something. He, he's, 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 he sa- it says right here that he is faithful. He doesn't set us up to fail, folks. Just as Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you, the Father is faithful in our temptations. Jesus said, Lo, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. The Father says, I'm going to be with you in the middle of your temptation, and I'm going to provide a way of escape for you. That's what he wants for us, folks. Isn't it silly that we would blame God for the things that we fall into when he's doing everything he can to bring us out of these things? Of course it's silly. I want to encourage you, don't pray stupid prayers like, Lord, if you open up the, the, the parking spot in front of the donut shop and uh, let me go in and get a cup of coffee, then I, I'll, I'm going to do it. Don't do that. Avoid the areas of temptation in your life at all costs. Jesus said, whatever causes you to symbol, if your hand causes you to symbol, chop it off. Not literally, okay? I come in tomorrow and there, or next week and there's like people... I'm like, what'd you do? Follow Jesus. I'm like, good Lord, you missed the point. You know, he's just saying be radical with your sin. Listen, you you struggle with things you shouldn't be watching. Don't take your phone in the bathroom where you're by yourself. You know, you struggle with, with being in certain places with certain elements. Don't go there. Protect yourself. You know, put some accountability in your life. You know, there's things that you can do to help yourself, by the way, that God is just, just wisdom that God gives us. But I want to encourage you to know this, that God is never the source of these things. He's the source of our power. He's the source of our ability to overcome these things, but he's never the source of them finding their way into our lives. Well, who is the source? That's a great question, and I'm glad you asked it because James goes on to tell us, but... Each person, in verse 14, is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. God's not the problem. Contrary to popular belief, Satan's not the problem. Who's the problem? We're the problem. It's our desires within us that are the problem. There's things within us that, that are that if married to temptation will produce sin. There's things that we desire to do that aren't right. And they live inside of us. And that's why Paul said, I want to beat my body into submission. What's he talking about? I want my flesh to die. I want to starve my flesh out. I don't want my flesh to have control. Why? Because that's where those desires reside, in the flesh. The the concept that James is talking about here, to be lured, literally to be drawn out or dragged away, it's fishing language. A lure. You know? And the fish is like, you know, and zing, all right, I got another one. It's interesting that the word enticed, it means to bait or trap. It's, it's, 
It's hunting language or, or trapping language. It's, it's the proverbial mouse in the cheese on the trap kind of mindset. You know, it's snaring. Listen, the devil doesn't make us do anything, does he? We are lured and enticed by our own desires. Now, he may set up a scenario that play right into your desires. Certainly can, that can happen, but he's never even at fault for us taking the step because that's not his deal. He can't do that. He can't take, he can't make you do anything. You don't belong to him. You belong to the Lord. And, and you're in control of your steps. The problem is when we're walking in the flesh that those lures and enticements look a lot better to us. And so we want them. Here's what I found also. That somebody else's lure isn't good for me. Because I don't like that kind of lure. Somebody else's bait might not, I might not be attracted to that bait. You know, the proverbial donut. Now, I don't like necessarily, I've never gone into a donut shop and go, I can't wait to get into those donuts I don't like. I can't wait to get into those French, you know, French whatever they are. They're, they're disgusting. Why would you eat those? What's wrong with you guys? But, but here's the thing is, there are the ones that I do like. And, and so those are the ones that, those are the lures that I find my, are in my life and the, the traps that I find in my life are the things that I like. Anybody else with me on that? It's not the things you don't like. Like, you could put me in a room with 10 pounds of cocaine. It's not going to be a problem. I don't like cocaine, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> so I'm not going to struggle with taking cocaine, right? I'm, I mean, it's going to, if there's 10 pounds there, when I'm in the room for a year, there's going to be 10 pounds when I leave. That's not a problem for me. However, if you put me in a room for a couple minutes with some cupcakes... That's a problem. That's a problem, and, I, and I'm being real. So, so th this whole thing about desires and stuff, I, I happen to be watching Cupcake Wars on Netflix with my family. <laughs> and this was years ago. I didn't even like cupcakes. But we start watching this Cupcake War season after season after season, and I'm ingrained with, like, cupcakes, cupcakes, cupcakes. All of a sudden, I have an insatiable desire for cupcakes. And, and, and I'm all, I don't know where I'm just like, man, we should get some cupcakes tonight. And, and, and this, this, this is back some years ago. But in that moment, the Lord showed me, this is, this is how desires breed in your life. By the things you ingest. There are things that are just naturally in the flesh. Nothing is overtaking you except for what is common to man. Those are things that are within all of us, right? It's just the flesh, the innate fleshness. But there are things that as we feed ourselves into these things that we gain desire for. And cupcakes is one of them. I realized after watching hundreds of episodes of Cupcake Wars that I now like cupcakes. And you know what? We don't allow cupcakes in our house because they won't last. You know, my, my kids go to bed and I'm like, I know there's cupcakes out there. I find myself at 12 o'clock at night, I'm waking up out of sleep just to go get some cupcakes. You know what I'm saying? Dads get up in the middle of the night to do stuff like that. Cupcakes, it's like I have a cupcake sensor in my brain. But, but whatever, that's a silly example, but, it's, but it is, you understand what I'm saying. Lured and enticed. What you allow in your life 
the information that you allow to come inside of you, the things that you allow yourself to view, all of that is making, it's feeding either your spirit or your flesh. Right? There's no in between. There isn't, I'm just going to be neutral on this one. There is none of that. Some of you watched the Tennessee-Alabama game yesterday, and some of you rejoiced greatly, and some of you were incredibly angry. Some of you uh, were sinfully rejoicing. Some of you were sinfully not rejoicing. What you view, what you allow in your life, all of that matters. And I promise you, if you will start to take, uh, take uh, you know, a look at the things that you're allowing in your life, the things that you allow in your home and all of those kinds of things, you'll start to notice that there's a direct correlation with those things and the desires in yourself. How do we overcome these desires? Of course, it's by the Spirit of God. Of course, it's by the power of the, of, of the, the, the blood of Christ and the risen Savior and all of that. Of course, it's, that's the way it all starts, but how do we, how do we live in that in freedom continually. It's by being very guarded in what we allow into our lives. That's how. Listen, I can't afford to let the flesh in my life have any more control than it already does. I can't afford that and neither can you. So you better be vigilant in what you're allowing in your life and the things that you're viewing and consuming and all of, the, all of these kinds of things. Hey, hey, listen, listen to what Paul says about this concept in, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 16 through 24. But I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the, the lust of the flesh or the desires of the flesh. Does it say you sometimes won't? It says you won't. I mean, you want freedom. Here's what it says. Walk in the Spirit. That's a verb. That means I have to actively do this. And guess what? I can change directions a gazillion times in a day. I can be in the spirit and be in the flesh and be in the spirit and be in the flesh. If I walk in the flesh, then I can expect the things of the flesh, which he goes on to list here. I'm not going to read. You can read it later. But if you walk in the spirit, you will yield the things of the spirit of God. And he goes on to list those things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And he's saying to us that, we as believers have the capacity to choose the path that we want to walk on. If you want to continue to struggle in the areas that are constantly routing you, then keep walking in the flesh because that's what will happen. But if you want victory, if you want to overcome those things, then you walk in the spirit of God. How do I do that? Stop feeding your flesh. Stop feeding your flesh. Feed your spirit. Get into the spiritual gym. You know, let the spirit come in and start to conform your thoughts, you know, and these kinds of things. I'm, I'm just saying, like, at the end of the day, we're never going to be perfect on this earth, but we can do a lot more than maybe we're doing, huh? This, here recently, I had to go in for a heart thing for a cath a couple, uh, on Friday, and thank you guys for praying if you, if you knew about that. Thank you so much. The Lord blessed, and uh, it wasn't, they thought there were some things going on, but it ended up that, hey, Praise the Lord, give him the glory that it wasn't what they thought. So thank you, Lord, for that. But here's, here's my point. When, when, I, when I was coming out of that, I thought, hmm, I could probably make some changes. 
I could probably make some changes that would probably help me and help my heart condition a little bit more. But it's going to take some denying myself, right? The question is, am I committed to do that? And that's what it comes down to. It comes down to, listen, we have a part to play in our daily life here on earth until Jesus comes to get us or until we go home. We have a part to play. There's a partnership with the Holy Spirit, and God will never, ever fail on his part. But we have to do our part, and our part is to walk in the Spirit and to starve out the flesh. That's our part. That, that's all that God is asking us to do. And by the way, then he supplies the power and the ability for us to do all these things. He's not asking us to do it on our own. He's just saying, if you'll, if you'll commit to walk in the Spirit, then guess what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the power to do it. I want you to walk in the Spirit. I don't want you to be lured and enticed by your desires. You, you know, that, that's what it means in, in Psalm uh, 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. That doesn't mean God's going to give you everything you want. That means that God will put the right desires in your heart. Hey, listen, before I came to Christ, I had zero desire to be in church. I had zero desire to be around God's people. I had zero desire to read the Bible. I had zero desire to pray. I had zero desire for any of these things. But you know what changed me? Delighting in the Lord. Somewhere along the lines, I got saved, and I pressed in, and the next thing you know, God gave me desires, good desires, desires that yield things of the Spirit. And he does the same thing with us. What's our part in that? Delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Press into God. Make him your prize. Make him the one that you, you delight in, that you find comfort in, that we're, the one that the source of all things in your life. You go to him. You let him be that thing in your life, and I promise you, your desires will start to be a lot more like his. They just, that's what happens. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Starve it out. Don't let your flesh have any control whatsoever. You put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that's a verb, to put on. It's an active tense. We have to do something here. We have to make a choice. We're going to walk in Christ or not. And he tells us the result, the result of that. If we do... Um, and we make no provision for the flesh, uh, we, we won't gratify its desires. These are God's promises to us. We, we like the other ones where it's just like, ah, oh, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. It's a mansion, and you're going to be so blessed up there, but he wants you to be blessed here, right now. He wants you to experience kingdom life on the horizontal right now. And he's saying you can do it, but you're going to have to partner with me on it because you're not perfected yet. You haven't, you're not in glory, but you got glory in you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit inside you to do these things. God would never call us to do something that we can't do. He would never say, hey, just walk in the Spirit and you won't gratify uh, the, the desires of the flesh when we can't do it. He wouldn't do that. He's encouraging us, man. We can do these things. You know, and so... Uh, what happens, so we understand what God's role is in temptation. We understand what our role is 
uh, relating to temptation. Now, what is the end result of temptation? Look what it says there in verse 15. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth what? Death. Do you know that sin can only do one thing? Bring forth death. That's the only thing that it can do. Not even, you know, not even a little sin can do anything good in your life. The only thing that it can do is yield death. You know, and, and somehow we forget that in the middle of our lives. Like, oh yeah, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. Well, I, I'm not going to, you know, I've been saved from death. I've been risen from death. I'm going to pass right through death. But hey, listen, you still have a physical life here. And that death is coming, and it may come sooner for you if you're, if you're uh, you know, not willing to yield to the, with the Spirit. Whoa, what is he saying here? You ever heard of Ananias and Sapphira? That was New Testament. How about the people in Corinth when they were partaking of the communion in an unworthy manner? Where they were coming and partaking of the drink and getting drunk, and they were eating like and not leaving enough for other people and all these kinds of things. Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 11.30, that's why many among you are weak and sick and some have died. Whoa. God still does that? He judges sin even in believers' lives? Yeah, he does. Listen, you're going to go to heaven, but you might go there a little sooner if you keep messing around with stuff, right? That's what he's saying. And in fact... 1 John 5, 16, there's a sin that leads to death. There is sin that leads to death, even in the believer's life. I've known people who have come to Christ who were, you know, who were maybe in a, in a specific, this is the easiest, the easiest um, analogy, but it's not the only one. But, but say somebody's recovering from alcohol or drugs or something like that. I have a friend that was an alcoholic. And, uh, you know, it, he wasn't a believer, but let's say he was. And then he stumbled back into alcoholism. And one night, he drank too much alcohol and he died. That's a sin that leads to death. And that happens, folks. It happens to believers even. You know, we, we have to understand that sin can only lead to one place. It's a dead end, and it's called death. That's the only place that it can lead now, let me ask you this. What does God want for your life? What does he want for your life? What's the opposite of death? Life. God wants you to live an abundant life. Folks, that's his desire for us. He does not want us to go down the dead end road and, and continue to just, you know, allow these things to rout us and all that kind of stuff. The Lord Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross and he rose again from the dead so that we can walk in, listen, newness of life. That's what he did for us. Hey, listen, he can do that for us. He's done that for us, but he can do that for real in everyday life for us. But again, it's a partnership for us. We have to be willing to do that. We have to choose to walk in the spirit, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's what he's talking about here. This, this, this language that he's using in verse 15, it's sexual in context. The idea is when desire and temptation come together, consummation happens, conception happens, 
gives birth to sin. That's the way it works. You have a desire. There's a temptation. As soon as you step into that temptation, there's a unionization. That unionization produces sin. And then sin fully grown produces death. Now, here's the awesome thing about the believer. Even if we've stepped into sin, we've con- they had consummation, now we're in sin. Guess what? We can stop it. This is the only time. It's a, it's a, this is the only time um, you can abort a conception in the Bible. Right here. The only time that can happen is right here. And he says you can abort that in Christ. The moment you've conceived and you've allowed sin in your life, you repent and you ask the Lord to cleanse you and wash you. You turn away from it. You turn to him. Guess what happens? He cleanses you. He cleanses you. That doesn't continue on. That sin is not going to grow, fully grow, because you've delivered it to the Lord. It's gone. The Lord wants you to do that. Listen, you're not going to walk perfectly, but you do your best. And that's what the Lord wants. And when we fail, guess what? We own it. We repent of it. And then we go and sin no more, just like Jesus said to do. Jesus told, you know, the, the woman caught in the adulterous act, when she goes, hey, where are your accusers? After he had did the whole dialogue with them, you know, and drawn in the sand and all, in the, in the ground. And then what happened was he looked to her and he said, hey, where are your accusers? Oh, I, I guess they're gone. And he says, well, neither do I accuse you. Stand up. And he, he says, your sins are forgiven. Now what? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more, he tells her. And that's the same thing he tells us when we come to the cross and we confess and we ask him to forgive us. He says, go and sin no more. Listen, there, we all got struggles in our lives. And we owe it. We owe it to the Lord. We owe it to ourselves to be vigilant with that in our lives. To really pay attention to the things that are in our lives. To guard ourselves. To have accountability in our life. To set ourselves up to walk in freedom. That's what the Lord desires for us. He wants to, you know, he wants us to understand this process so that we can make changes in our life. So this morning, as we close, I want to encourage you. If there's things in your life that are cyclical, that just keep coming around, pay attention. First and foremost, pay attention. The Spirit of God will give you wisdom on how to, or even sometimes it's things that we're allowing in our life that Maybe we've allowed in our life, you know, two weeks ago, but all of a sudden now they manifest two weeks later, and now we're experiencing the effects of what we did two weeks ago. Pay attention. Pay attention to your walk with the Lord. Pay attention to the things that you're allowing in your life and that you're viewing and all these kinds of things, and you will find incredible uh, correlations with your sin. Again, The Pursuit of Holiness, great book talks about this whole process. It's uh, 14 chapters, so I can't quote him continually in my sermon, but, but I encourage you to read it. The Pursuit of Holiness. Here's the other thing. Ask yourself, do I fear God? Do I have any fear of God in my heart? Like, like you know, uh, do I respect God? Do I have a reverence for God? Because I'm afraid to say it, but in our culture today, there's not, there, you know, we're so, the pendulum has swung so far over to this grace side, and it's all about grace. So don't hear me say that it's not, but we need to respect and love and revere the Lord.
respect and love and revere the Lord? Do I have any reverence for God in my heart? Do I care what he thinks? That might be a good place to start. Apply these things. I'm telling you. Paul is, is in, in, encourages us. James gives us the instructions here, but Paul also encourages us to walk in the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time together and we thank you for your word. We ask you now, Lord, to help us to, to uh, respond to what you've said here today. Lord, there are many temptations that come in our path, Lord. Not all of them lead to sin, but some do. And Father, we ask you, Lord, to bring freedom in this place this morning. Lord, for those that might be struggling with temptations, Lord, and, and we all know we all, we all have them in our life, Lord, and sometimes we all uh, succumb to them and allow them to overtake our lives. But we ask you, Lord, to break the chains this morning. There's power in the name of Jesus. We proclaim the name of Jesus over our lives, Lord. We want to be set free from these things that, that entrap us. And more than that, Lord, we also want our desires to change. Will you come right now, Lord? Will you help us to just delight in you as we commit to surrender to you this morning, Lord, that, that we want to walk in that newness of life that you've given us in Christ? And so as we surrender to you, Lord, and we're committed to say no to the temptation when it comes around, will you give us the freedom and the power even right now? Lord, we want to be washed in the blood of Christ. Your word reminds us if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we come confessing this morning, Lord, in full surrender, desiring to walk in the spirit, to put to death the flesh, Lord, to delight in you, to allow our thoughts to be captivated by you, to revere you, Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts this morning. As we continue to pray, if you're here this morning and you're saying, hey, I want to be prayed over, I want, I want the Lord to wash me this morning and I want to commit to him in a fresh and a new way, I want you to lift your hand up. I want to pray a prayer. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else this morning? Say, hey, man, I just, I'm tired of this cycle. I want to be set free. I'm tired of it. God bless you. Father, you know the hearts of every person in this place. And you know that every struggle, you know every lure and every enticement, and you know every desire in our heart. We ask you to wash them now away, Lord. We pray that you would fill our hearts with your desires. God, that we would long for you like we've never longed before you. We would hunger and thirst for righteousness like never before, Lord. Will you fall on us and heavy in your spirit this morning, God, that we would be washed clean of all these fleshly things and then that we would implement in your word in our life, that we would walk in practical wisdom, empowered by your spirit. Lord, for those that have raised their hand, we pray over them now that you would do these things. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, because of the commitment and the surrender this morning, Lord, there's, there is they will see that victory. And we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, as we continue to go from this place, that you help remind us that others are watching, that we are to walk circumspectly, carefully before 
unbelievers, Lord, that we wouldn't defame your name. So, Lord, take us from this place. Help us to be circumspect with our walks and to, uh, to, be, to examine our hearts, Lord, and our desires and all of those things and weigh them before you. So we lift it up to you now. We thank you for this time together. And uh, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you'll stand with us at the end of the service here, there'll be some people down here to pray with you. If you've never accepted the Lord and you want to come to know Jesus this morning and have your sins washed away, there'll be some people up here to pray with you. They'll lead you through a prayer of confession and, and repentance and a receiving of Christ. If you just want prayer, listen, uh, for things that are going on in your life, will you come down? We're here to pray with you. We're your church family. We'd love to uh, come alongside you and encourage you. So let's close in a song. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.